Hey, this is Micah Bosworth. I'm the pastor here at Ridgepoint, and this is our sermon podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this is an encouragement to you. Hope it helps to build your faith. And I hope it helps you to see that God is working in your life. Enjoy the message. James chapter number three. Are you there? And James chapter number three. We're uh, continuing our study in the book of James. And uh, it, many people, they, they might know this passage a little bit. I know uh, if you were in Sunday school at all, uh, you probably heard a lot of lessons on this because uh, especially as you're growing up as a kid, uh, well, if you were anything like I was growing up as a kid, uh, you got to learn to uh, watch your mouth and you got to learn to uh, figure out what to say and what not to say and things like that. And so this passage was constantly brought up, uh, I know, in Sunday school and uh, kids' church as I was growing up to uh, hear really what the Lord would desire us to think about when it comes to our words, when it comes to our tongue. And, uh, and, and what I think is amazing about this passage is that uh, I've, I've heard it and read past it so many times in my life. Uh, but, but recently as I was studying uh, this passage in the last few weeks, just reading through it and, and studying some of it, I saw some things that, as a kid, just went right over my head, and uh, and I hope to share some of those things with you this morning. Specifically, the last few verses, what James is getting at, um, because uh, a lot of times we we've heard people, maybe you've heard people preach this passage as I did, and the theme of the passage was this: watch your mouth, watch your mouth is really what the theme of what they said. But I want us to see, and, and I'll say this again toward the end of the message, I'm pretty sure it's in my notes uh, to say so, is that actually what he's getting at in all of this is check your heart. He's not saying watch your mouth. He's saying check your heart. And your mouth is an indicator of what's in your heart. That's what he's getting at. And I hope we'll see that as we travel through the passage. But James chapter 3, I'll read the first few verses, and uh, we'll cover the first 12 verses, uh, but I'm only going to read the first five this morning as we go through the passage. The Bible says this. It says, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold, Also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. I think that uh, each and every one of us, we know that our words, uh, our tongues are a problem right? We, we probably, each and every one of us, understand that our words and our, tongue, our tongues are a problem. We have, uh, we have so many idioms in our English language that point to the fact that we understand this. Uh, one I mentioned earlier was, watch your mouth. Uh, that's an idiom that we have in English that shows we understand our words are a problem. Uh, bite your tongue, is another one. You ever use that one? Uh, bite your tongue, especially to your kids, maybe, or uh, to a friend, you hear them say something, bite your tongue. Hold your tongue is another way that we say that. Someone messes up and they say, that was just a slip of the tongue, right? Uh, that we say that. Uh, what, what about this one? What about uh, they put their foot in their mouth? 
Huh? We ever heard that one? We, I've heard that one said quite a bit of the Apostle Peter uh, throughout the Gospels, uh, just shoving his foot in his mouth. But that's a, an idiom that we use to uh, show that we understand. Words can sometimes be a problem. Uh, what comes out of our mouth can. Uh, what about this one? This is one, one of my favorite ones. Do you kiss your mother with that mouth? Right? Have you ever heard that one? Uh, and uh, my, my mom used to say this one. I remember she never wanted us to say, uh, of course, expletives of any kind, um, and for good reason. Uh, but uh, I remember we would, uh, there's Christian curse words. You know what I'm saying. Tim Hawkins says, uh, a com- Christian comedian says some of this, to where we, we've dumbed down some uh, that we don't want to be as crude. And so we say things like crud right? Um, or uh, crap-a-doggies is what I've heard some people say, or whatever. You know, they, we just say random things uh, that, that are in the same vein that we throw. And one that my mom used to always say, if I would say the word crud, she would say, I wouldn't have on my shoe what just came out of your mouth. Uh, and, uh, and so, you know, you just hear these idioms or things that we say that help us to understand that we know, we know our tongues are a problem right? We know our tongues. We know our words are a problem. And yet, though we seem to understand our words are a problem, (laughs) somehow we don't fully recognize what happens when we open our mouths. And the people that James is writing to had the same problems. And to bring up the subject, what James does is he mentions another thing that was happening in that time. And the other thing that was happening was this. The early church seemed to really respect those that were in authority and especially those who taught the word of God, uh, that, that gave to people the teaching of the word. And so what they started to end up, uh, what it seemed they were starting to do was to generate as many of those as possible. Like how many teachers of the word can we generate because we respect and love those who tell us the word so much. Something similar happened in the church at Corinth. Uh, they had this problem with celebrity pastors and, uh, and the Apostle Paul brought it up to them. He said, some of you are uh, saying, well, I'm a, of Apollos and I'm of Peter and I'm of Paul and, and some of you are so stuck up that you're like, well, I'm of Christ. You know, I'm, I'm not of anyone like that. And it's just uh, these infightings of who am I following? Who am I listening to? And they, and they so respected though these teachers that they were listening to that it seemed that they were consistently trying to generate as many of them as they could. And and Paul, he uh, corrected them for their understanding of this, and James, he seems to be correcting a similar misunderstanding for his readers. Because James tells his readers something that that is probably a little surprising for us to hear. Uh, but, But this is what he says. He says, brothers, don't become a bunch of teachers. That's what he says. Be not many masters. He says this, don't become a bunch of teachers, my brothers. And, and if you hear that, that seems odd at first to me. Like, like we, we seem to have this mindset in especially American evangelicalism is this, Bible, good, right? Those who teach the Bible, good. So shouldn't it make sense that we get as many Bible teachers as we can? And, uh, and so many people, they, they've taken that on as themselves. Everyone today seems to have a podcast and everyone seems to, there are so many TikTok theologians today that I don't even know how many there are anymore that people who say, well, I'm a teacher of God's word and now I have a platform to do so. But, but James here is telling us something that seems a little counter to, uh, intuitive to what we would say. And he's saying, no, not everyone needs to be a teacher of God's word. 
Not everyone needs to be someone who's put up in front of the church, and, oh, and whether that's a local church or the church at large, like on YouTube or something like that. Uh, not everyone needs to have that type of position of teaching the word of God. And the reason that shouldn't be the case, he says, is this. There shouldn't be a goal of making as many teachers as possible because, uh, because uh, well, what he's saying to the, his readers is this. You're misunderstanding that role because that role is going to end up actually being judged with greater scrutiny than those that learn and hear the word of God. Uh, those that teach the word of God it, uh, fall under a greater condemnation is the words there. They fall under a stricter judgment. Um, I, uh, apparently in some way, God says this consistently in different ways throughout his word, we will not all be judged by the same measure. Uh, he says it in some ways, uh, that uh, in this way he says, uh, with great uh, those who are given much. I was just about to quote Spider-Man, okay? Not with great response, uh, power comes great responsibility. Uh, but he says, those who are given much, much will be required, right? Later he says, what measure you me dole out to other people, that's what measure you have to meet. That's what you're going to be measured up against. And here he says, teachers of the word are going to fall under a greater judgment, a stricter judgment, a, a greater scrutiny for the role that they're playing in the church. And so not everyone needs to be a teacher because uh, one, it, that, that requires a greater judgment to come upon you. But then he also says this, he says, in many things we offend all. Uh, what, what's he saying there? What he's saying is this, uh, all of us mess up, right? All of us have a slip of the tongue. And, and he goes on to say that if you ever listen to a teacher of God's word and you never, ever, ever hear him slip up and say something ridiculous or maybe accidentally say something wrong, like contrary to what's actually true, uh, if you never hear any of that from a, a teacher, then what he, what he says is that's a perfect man who not only can can control his tongue, but can control every single part of his body himself. What, what is he saying? He's saying, it's not possible. <laughs> That's what he's saying. He's, he's saying, uh, if someone has always said the exact right thing when teaching the word of God, uh, it, it, then they're an absolutely perfect person. And there's only one person who, ever, who has ever done that, and that is Jesus Christ himself. Every single one of us, we offend in all. We, we all uh, stumble at different points in our life. And because of that, you need to understand that, uh, that to be a teacher of God's word uh, requires great care and it requires uh, a great diligence to, to that role, okay? Uh, and, and, and James is trying to teach them that because it seems as though some people were taking it kind of flippantly. And he says, no, 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 no. You are telling people what God says. You're speaking on God's behalf. That's something that should be taken very, very seriously. <clears throat> and, and what he's doing when he brings that up is really segueing into the topic he wants to talk about. Because verse one and two give a context, sort of a launching pad for James to talk about what he wants to say. What he is trying to say here to, the, uh, to these people is uh, that they don't appreciate how big of a deal it is to become a teacher because they don't realize how easy it is to make mistakes and how serious of an accounting they'll have before God. But there is something else that James wants to get to and what he, uh, what he gets to, he does so in verse three and 12. 
Because the problem, what he's saying, of wanting to have a bunch of preachers and communicators of the word was really an indicator of another problem that was taking place. The, the problem here is that, uh, that he's about to explore was uh, underneath their over-eagerness to have a bunch of preachers and teachers. And, and what that problem was this, they failed to understand the spiritual significance of their speech. They failed to understand how significant spiritually the words that they say are. And the metaphor that, the, that James uses throughout this passage is the tongue. They fail to understand, understand just how powerful and dangerous that the tongue is. That was the underlying problem. That was the reason that they were saying, let's make a bunch of teachers and preachers because they didn't realize the power of the tongue. They didn't realize the power of words. They didn't realize that what was, happen- what was happening when they opened their mouths. So that's what we're going to talk about today, and James lays it out very plainly for us in, in four separate ways, and he first of all tells us this. He tells us that the tongue is powerful. The tongue is powerful. He says that, uh, uh, and he uses a couple examples to do so. He, he, the first example he uses is the horse and the bits in the horse's mouth. You read verse 3 through uh, 5, he says, Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouth that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Think about a horse how massive they are, how, how much weight they can pull or uh, put on top of them, uh, how fast they are in doing so as well. Uh, I, I was looking it up. Some of you might know this better than me. I had to look it on the internet. Uh, but uh, horses can weigh uh, around 1,000 to 1,200 pounds sometimes, okay? Uh, and, and so think about how massive that is and then compare that to the size of a bit that goes in their mouth. Compare the size, and what James is saying is this. Though they are so great, they're controlled with just this little bitty piece of metal or, or wood. Uh, in the olden days, some of them would be made out of but This bit, it's not 1,000 pounds. It, it can't carry 500 pounds on them. It, it can't trample you to death. But it can control the horse because it has a power that the horse does not have. It has a power that the horse does not have. The other example that James uses is the rudder of a ship. And, and what he says with that is he says this, whoever controls the rudder has control of the boat. Whoever controls the rudder has control of the boat. I think of even cargo ships. Have you ever seen some of those cargo ships? They're massive. Uh, they, e- even those cargo ships, they have rudders. Now, the rudder on a cargo ship can be up to 18 feet long. And you say, well, that's not small. But think of it in compared to the actual cargo ship itself. The cargo ship itself can be 1,200 feet long and can carry 220,000 tons of cargo. Not pounds, tons. You want that in pounds? 440 million pounds that a cargo ship can hold. And, and it's amazing because whoever controls the rudder of that ship controls the destination of 220,000 tons of cargo. The, the rudder is small, even the 18-foot rudder, is small in comparison to the entire ship as a whole, and yet it is enormously consequential to the direction of that ship. Do you, do you get what James is saying? He's saying, uh, in the same way, your tongue, though small, has great consequences. It's, it's increasingly in, and, and, uh, and uh, enormously consequential for where, the direction of where your life heads, even though it's such a small member of your body. 
And, and honestly, do we really need these examples to understand how powerful the tongue really is? I mean, even without even thinking of the horse bit or a rudder on a ship, we know how much power is in our speech, don't we? Think about how powerful words have shaped the course of your life and where you are today. Words like, will you marry me? Right? And even if the answer to that question was no, that altered the direction of your life, right? Uh, That's some consequential words right there. Think of words like, you got the job. You've been accepted to our school. Words like, we're having a girl. Words like, they've accepted your offer. Those have consequences to those words. But then there are other powerful words that have affected you too uh, that are negative, aren't there? Words like, I hate you. I don't love you anymore. But words like that, that can uh, affect us. Uh, Words like, you always or you never in the middle of a fight. Those, Those affect us in a great way when we hear those words. Uh, We say these things, whether positive or negative, so quickly and so easily, oftentimes with very little thought. And it is so easy to utter these words, and yet they're so powerful. They can affect us in such such enormous ways. The tongue is small, about two ounces, (laughs) but yet it is so powerful. But not only that, the tongue is also destructive, James tells us. In verse, the latter part of James, uh, in the latter part of verse five and, uh, and in verse six, he says this, he says, behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. So our tongues are powerful and while that can be a good thing, a little encouragement goes a long way, uh, uh, a little bit of loving speech goes a long way. While that can be a good thing, the power of our tongue can be a terribly destructive thing. When we think of the most destructive things we can, uh, we think of things like maybe like a nuclear bomb, but even a nuclear bomb is deployed by words. Uh, That missile doesn't shoot until the word is given. Even those things are controlled by a word. Think about in your own life, it was with the tongue that an old friend might have stabbed you in the back. It was with the tongue that a coworker kept you from that promotion that you wanted. It was with the tongue that you alienated your child that, that doesn't speak to you anymore or that child might have alienated you. It was with the tongue that, that you sabotaged that relationship or that you burned that bridge or that someone did so with you. You, you didn't use gasoline and matches to set that fire, to burn that bridge. You, you used words or they used words and it only takes a spark to set off a fire. Uh, you know, we, we end up with a lot of fires around here uh, at the end of the summer. It seems every year fire season comes and there are dangerous things. But even those huge devastating fires, they start small. The, 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 that's one thing that all wildfires have in common is they don't start out as wildfires, Right? They, they start out as a spark or a small flame. Just like with our speech, the tongue destroys families, corporations, working cultures, community trust, and even churches. The tongue can completely destroy these things, but no matter what ends up getting bur- burned down, it always starts small. It always starts with just some words. The little fire leads to a great disaster. 
And we know how desirous or disastrous a fire can be. So when we have a dry time uh, in, in the weather, we, we are not very as flippant with fire, right? When we know that there's a dry season, we, we don't just hand our kids a Zippo lighter and say, go have fun in the field, right? We, we, if you do, don't tell me, okay? <laughs> uh, but uh, if it's dry season, we don't do things like that. We take extra care, and yet we understand how destructive our words can be, and yet we play with them just as if we were playing with fire out in a field in a dry season. And it starts small, but when those fa- flans are famed, or when those flames are fanned, sorry, it, it sets on fire the whole course of nature, our whole lives, James says. Our whole existence can be affected by just a few small words. That's the destructiveness of the tongue. But the tongue isn't only powerful and destructive, but in verse seven and eight, he tells us that the tongue is untamable. <laughs> in verse seven, he says this, for every kind of beasts and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. You know, human beings have been able to do some pretty incredible things with animals. I, I mean, you think about a lot of them, we can train those animals, even the the big scary ones like lions and, and tigers and, and bears. Oh my, right? Uh, the, we, even those big scary ones we can uh, tame at times. But, and, and I know sometimes even those will have a crazy spell and do something to attack. But well, in, in a lot of those uh, situations, those are rare because of how uh, us as human beings are able to train those animals to do something for, for like a treat, at times, we, we train them to do those, even though they're much bigger than human beings, even though they're way more powerful than us, and, and yet we're able to make them obey uh, what we're telling them to do. People, they train their dogs, right? They, they train them to do all kinds of things. People uh, try to train their cats. I don't know how successful people are with training cats, but, uh, but they, there's uh, even, even cats as you know, stuck up as they can be in uh, how they live their lives, that you can show them where the litter box is and train them where to go to the restroom and you can train them uh, when the food's coming and what time that's gonna take place. You can train these animals to do those things. And scientists, I think of this, they've trained rats to like go through mazes and pull levers. Uh, It's just amazing what we've been able to do with animals. But there is something that we can't tame. We can't tame our own tongue, is what James says. We, we can tell a lion what to do. We can tell a whale to jump up and splash people, right? We can tell these huge beasts to do something, and, and we can talk to dolphins, but at the end of the day, we aren't very good at controlling our tongues, are we? we James says our tongues, they're unruly. They're like an untamed animal. I remember as a kid, I had a paper route uh, where I, uh, I, I was running, I, well, my mom would drive the van and we'd have the van door wide open and uh, I'd have all the papers in there and she would drive me to the next house and I'd jump out while the van was still uh, going, you know, so I could get a little faster running start and I'd throw it on porches and all that. And one of the times I jumped out of the van, I remember this huge German shepherd just charged me and bit right through my jeans into my calf. And uh, and it was terrible. It was, it was an untamed dog. They had not trained that dog. It was unruly. It went straight for anyone that came near it and bit into them. And, uh, and, and uh, thankfully, I didn't get rabies or anything like that, right? But, um, but it all happened so fast that I remember being so scared of dogs for a while. I didn't want to do my paper route for fear of that dog or another dog that might uh, come after me. But, but even uh, 
in the midst of that, I knew that dogs could be tamed. They could be trained. Uh, I'm not scared of dogs like I was as a kid. Why? Because I've seen so many dogs tame. I've seen so many dogs trained uh, by their owners. But, but not our tongues, okay? It, these things can be tamed, but not our tongues. We, we can't fully control our tongues by ourselves. And, and we all know this probably just by thinking of the things that we've said this week. Maybe we said this morning that we're like, uh, man, I, I remember something I said this morning that proves to me, yeah, it's really hard to control my tongue. Uh, the things that uh, maybe have even been said to us recently that make us think that. But, but James tells us our, our tongues cannot be tamed on our own. We cannot control our tongue on our own. It's just not going to happen. But then James goes on. Not only does he tell us that our tongues are powerful and destructive and untamable, but, but then he says this, the tongue ultimately, it's revealing. It's revealing about who you actually are. Uh, verses nine and 10, he says this, uh, therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. In verse 9 and 10, uh, James makes the point that our tongue can be hypocritical. Uh, he's getting to a larger point that our tongue reveals our heart. The tongue, it, it's, it's a revealing thing. He says we bless God with it. We, we stand up on Sunday and sing praises to our God. We, we share testimony of God's goodness in our lives. And then at work and at home, we complain about other people and tear them down with our words, even if behind their back, even though they're made in the very image of the very God that we were praising and giving testimony to on Sunday, is what he's saying. It, it's hypocritical, but it's also revealing. And James says this specifically with the examples he gives in verses 11 and 12. He says, Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh? Uh, what, what he's getting at here when he says that the fountain brings forth sweet and bitter water, he isn't complaining about a fountain where he didn't know what he was going to get out of it. Uh, when, when he says that the, a fountain brings forth bitter water, what he's really getting at is this. That's a contaminated water source. If, if a water source is bringing forth bitter water, it's, it's corrupted in some way. So really what James is saying when he gives these examples is uh, that he, he's not saying that sometimes you have good speech and sometimes you have bad speech. That's not what he's saying when he's saying uh, the fountain that has good water and bad water and the fruits uh, that are grown on these, on these uh, trees. He's not saying sometimes you have good speech and sometimes you have bad speech. What he's telling him is this, the bad speech that's coming out of your mouth actually is very revealing and very telling of what's inside your heart no matter what good things you say. We know he's saying that because he goes on to talk about the trees. He says a, trees, a tree that bears figs on it is what? A fig tree, right? That's what he's saying. It, a, fig that, a tree that bears figs is a fig tree. If it has olives on it, uh, it, it doesn't make it an olive tree just because someone put olives on it, right? It, and, and no tree... Uh, that no fig tree is ever going to bear olives. And the only way olives are going to be on there is if someone stuck them on it. It, it would be fake. The fruit that's actually, that actually grew on the tree reveals what kind of tree it is. So what is he saying about our speech? He's saying this, when our speech is cursing, 
He's not just talking about curse words, but uh, and don't do that either, but he's talking about tearing people down, right? He's talking about uh, cursing other people, tearing them down, gossiping about them, the way we use our tongue to start wildfires, the way we use our speech to destroy things. Uh, he's saying that that type of speech reveals what's really going on in our heart. And just, become you, just because you come to church or, or go to a small group and you say nice spiritual sounding things doesn't change the fact uh, that what's in your heart comes out when you're cursing other people. Uh, he, he, he's saying that the tongue is revealing to people what's actually inside your heart. James says it, it shouldn't be this way. But, but it is this way because the, the tongue is, is the indicator of our heart. You see, we have sinful speech because we have sinful hearts. And, and by, by the way, this really gets down to the biblical doctrine of sin. The Bible's teaching about sin is not that we are good people who do bad things or that we're neutral people who sometimes do good things or sometimes do bad things. What the Bible teaches about sin is probably a lot worse than you think uh, because he's saying we do bad things because in our flesh we want to do bad things. We sin because in our flesh, we love it. We, we want to do it. Our flesh desires to sin. That's why we sin. And, and James tells us here that what you say reveals what is in your heart. What you say reveals your true desires. It, what he's saying is this. It's not as much a fruit problem as much as it is a root problem. He, he's saying not, not watch your mouth, but check your heart. Check the root. So, so what, are exactly our, what exactly are we supposed to do then? If, we, if, if we're supposed to, uh, to understand that our words are powerful and destructive and that our tongue is untamable and that it reveals what's within us, how are we supposed to fix this? It, it's ob obviously a problem. We know that our tongue is powerful and destructive, but so what does James want us to do? Well, there is a wrong way to respond to this. There is a wrong way to respond to this text. And the wrong way would be to respond this way. Wow, convicting, convicting passage. So I need to get my speech under control. I need to work really, really hard to not say those things that, uh, so that I don't sin with my speech. That's the wrong way to approach the application of this. But, but uh, what, what James is saying is what I, I, I read in uh, Augustine, Augustine, whatever, however you want to uh, pronounce his name he has a commentary on James and this is what he said in his day people had the same idea that they would come to this passage they would read it and they would say oh taming the taming the tongue is really hard so I'm going to have to be really strong to do it and that's that's not what James is saying is Augustine goes on to say this uh, when we respond this way it misses the point he says I do not believe this is the meaning uh, instead James was determined to show the tongue cannot be tamed by anyone. He said this, not in order that we should tolerate this evil, but in order that we should ask for divine grace to tame our tongue. Here, here's the idea. If you want the tongue to be tamed, you have to get to the root of it, your heart. And, and isn't that what the whole, like, the whole theme of James has been so far? <laughs> That James isn't giving us just practical ways to act. He's talking about living out our faith. And what is faith? Dependence upon God. Trusting in God. It's not trusting in ourselves. It's outsourcing our alliance to God. You, you can't get through life. You can't live this life without trusting in him is what James keeps telling us. And it's the same with taming our tongue. You can't do it. 
But that's the good news because God can do it. God can. Augustine in his commentary continued this way. He said, notice also the comparison with beasts. The animal does not tame itself. A man is needed to tame an animal. And so God is needed to tame a man. James, he didn't write this so that we would wake up tomorrow morning and say, I'm going to do better at my speech this week. James wrote this so that we would feel broken, empty, helpless, and realize I need God. I need God to help me tame what I cannot tame. I I need God to help uh, stop me from starting those fires with my speech. I need God to help me not destroy everything with what I say. I can't do this on my own. I need God to help me. So we turn to God. James has been pointing his readers to this the whole time, a life of dependent, uh, dependence upon God's enabling grace, not a life of self-reliance. And, and so here is the message of our text. If, if you were to summarize what James is saying in this, this would be what the message of our text is this morning. It's this, to control your speech, you must attend to the heart. And to attend to the heart, we need God to attend to us. To control our speech, you have to attend to your heart. And to attend to your heart, you need God to attend to you. We need God to work in our hearts so that our hearts might then affect our tongues. And, and when it works that way, it is so freeing. I mean, this is, this is the truth of the gospel lived out in our lives, that Jesus has done all the work needed to overcome sin in our life. And he's given us this, his spirit within us to enable us to find victory over those sins. To, to do that in our lives. And when we come to faith in Jesus, we find that true freedom. We have his spirit living within us to overcome these, our sinful desires. And you don't have to pay that penalty anymore of eternal separation from God and hell because Jesus has already paid that penalty on the cross for you and for me. And if you've, if you've come to that decision in your life, that you've recognized your sin before him and took his payment for your sin uh, to your account so that when God looks at you, he sees Jesus Christ and his perfect life and his payment for your sin, then you can then continually every day go to him for the needed grace and strength to continue to overcome the sin that he has already overcome when he overcame death and the grave. Christians, for us, we have this freedom. You, you have this power source from Christ to, uh, to have God work in you to tame that which you cannot tame on your own. But the reason that so many Christians are not finding victory in this area of their lives is not because they aren't trying. There are plenty of Christians trying to hold their tongues. There are cr- plenty of Christians trying to make sure that what's coming out of their mouth is the right thing. But the reason that we aren't finding victory over this is not because we're not trying to to control our speech. It's because we're not getting to the actual root problem. We're not attending to our hearts. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, the Bible says. You need God to work on your heart. So to control our speech, we need to attend to our heart. And to attend to our heart, we need God to attend to us. How does that take place? We get into his word, we pray. We spend time with the one who can attend to our hearts. And as he does so, then out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. So let's evaluate ourselves this morning. Our our speech, is it revealing something about our hearts? If it is, you're not going to change 
what's coming out of your mouth by just trying to hold your tongue. The only way to do so is to attend to the root of the problem. Attend to your heart. And then to attend to your heart, allow God to attend to you through his word, through the way that he speaks to you in the conviction of his Holy Spirit. Allow God to attend to your heart. And through that work of sanctification, we've seen that consistently throughout the entire Bible, not just the book of James, that he works on our heart. And then what does a heart in love with God eventually end up doing? It ends up acting. That's what this entire book is. Faith in action. Faith in action. Faith in God. A, 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 a reliance upon God that affects who I am down to the deepest core of who I am in my heart. And as a result of that love and that dedication to him, then I start walking a certain way in the way that I'm living. That faith in action. Control my speech by attending to the heart and attend to my heart by letting God attend to me. Thank you so much for joining us. A special thanks to those that give generously to our ministry because of you that this ministry is possible. For more information about our ministry, check out our website at wenatchechurch.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, you can share it with your friends, hit the share button or take a screenshot and share it on your social media and tag us at Wenatchee Church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.